Hey friend, do you want to offer meaningful learning solutions that create behavior change, fit in the flow of work, and yield real results for your nonprofit? If yes, this is the podcast for you. Join me as I explore instructional design and leadership development best practices, as well as change management, belonging, and influence. If we haven't met yet, I'm Heather and I've been in your shoes. I'm a learning and development consultant and founder of Skill Masters Market. Before starting my business, I led learning and leadership development initiatives for a large national nonprofit. I know what it's like to need to develop your staff quickly and effectively and to build the relationships and cut through the organizational layers to be successful. And I'm bringing all of that to you in this podcast. So block your calendar, turn off your Teams or Slack chat, and let's dive in. It's learning for good. Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Learning for Good. So I want you to picture a situation with me. You're sitting in the back of a training room with your colleague who you happen to know is hard of hearing. The trainer at the front of the room isn't mic'd and says, can everyone hear me okay? I'm pretty loud. I don't know if I need a mic. Everyone in the room nods and says, yes, they can hear him. So the trainer continues without the mic. After the training, your colleague admits that she struggled to hear the trainer. Was this a good experience for your colleague? Probably not. As learning and development leaders, we are investing time and money into creating engaging solutions for our learners. But all of our learners are not the same. We know this. We know their needs are not the same. We know their likes and dislikes are not the same. We know their goals are not the same. And also their abilities are not the same. So how do we create solutions that are accessible to everyone? That's what we're gonna explore today with guest, Dr. Saida. Mirzali on this week's episode of Learning for Good. Let's dive in. All right. So Saida is a multilingual instructional designer specializing in e-learning. She creates inclusive and data-driven learning solutions that center learners' needs. She holds an MFA in creative writing and an interdisciplinary PhD in English. With a background in cognitive linguistics, cultural studies, communication studies, disability studies, and literary studies, Saida continues to advocate for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in L&D spaces and e-learning solutions. As an accessibility expert, she ensures that her designs are accessible to all learners, and she is committed to promoting diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in all aspects of e-learning design. Saida, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me and for this opportunity to be here and to talk about one of my favorite topics, accessibility. I am so excited for this topic and for this episode. I think so many organizations are thinking about this and they just aren't sure what to do, how to get there. And so I'm excited for you to share some of your expertise with us. But before we dive in, let's get to know you a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about your career journey? Sure. So you know how sometimes in your life, all these different threads and paths, they come together and converge and you suddenly realize that you've been moving towards this path. You've been on this path for a very long time without knowing it. That's actually my story with instructional design, but it's a long story, but I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. I grew up in a small conservative town near the borders of Iran and Afghanistan And I was denied access to a lot of educational opportunities because of my gender, 
and the socioeconomic status of my family. And education is everything. It leads to opportunities. It can help raise people out of poverty. So I was always on the lookout for new learning opportunities. And despite having limited access, I took advantage of every opportunity that I was afforded. And I wanted to one day be in a position where I can help other people improve their lives through education. And for a long time, I thought that I had to be a university professor to fulfill that dream. And in school, my favorite subjects were English, literature, and writing. So I pursued a BA and an MA in English and then moved to Alabama in 2011 for an MFA in creative writing and then moved to Minnesota for a PhD in English, uh, where I ended up doing an interdisciplinary dissertation And along this path, during my graduate studies, I did a lot of career exploration. I did grant writing for nonprofits. I did editorial work for university presses and publishing houses. I explored research-based careers in the nonprofit sector. And I really enjoyed those jobs, but it wasn't until I um, looked into instructional design as a career path that something finally clicked. As a graduate student, I did a lot of curriculum design. I taught a lot of undergraduate courses. I volunteered as a tutor and a coach for refugees and for international students. And doing all that work, I realized that the part of being an academic that I enjoyed the most was the instructional design part, the curriculum design part. So I started seriously looking into a career in learning and development. And I realized that instructional design combined every interest and passion that I had pursued over the years, minus the parts about being in academia that I didn't particularly enjoy. To be an instructional designer, you need to be a good researcher. There's a lot of data analysis, critical thinking, writing, project management that goes into the work. And so all these interests were converging into this work. And it was it also aligned with my childhood dreams of helping people better their lives through education. So that's how I got into instructional design. I did a learning and development internship at a tech company called Content Stack. And I absolutely enjoyed that experience. It also helped confirm that I would thrive as an instructional designer. And then I also worked as an instructional designer for the graduate career services at the College of Liberal Arts, University of Minnesota, which I also enjoyed. And that was actually when and where I got really into disability studies and accessibility. And I studied those topics and I also volunteered as a grader for the University of Minnesota's accessibility badge program, which was an absolutely Great experience. And currently I'm working as an instructional designer for a small nonprofit called Center for Professional and Executive Development, which is affiliated with the Wisconsin School of Business. And I know I promised a short story, but delivered a novel, but that's my career journey. I love hearing the career journeys of my guests because I think it's so interesting to see how they flow and how you end up where you are and all of the pieces start to just make sense. And Saida, we did not talk about this before we started recording, but I actually have a BA and MA in English from a school in Alabama also. So we have that in common (laughs) and then ended up being in the learning and development space. So there you go. 
All right. So we know that nonprofits are interested in accessible learning. We know that they want to do this in many cases and just aren't sure how. But in case anyone is sitting there wondering if they should even pursue this, can you tell us why nonprofits should be thinking about accessible learning? That That's a great question. And there are many reasons why nonprofits should be thinking about incorporating accessibility and creating accessible material. And but I can give you five, maybe like seven reasons why. First off, I want to start with saying that when we talk about accessibility, we need to shift the conversation from accommodating people and to not disabling them. It's not people with disabilities who are inherently disabled. It's a social and physical barriers in the world around them that creates disabling conditions. So it's the society, the way that it's structured that creates these barriers for full participation for people with disabilities. For instance, a person who uses a wheelchair, if they're unable to access a building because there are no ramps or elevators, it's not the person's wheelchair that's disabling them. It's lack of accessibility in the built environment. Or a person with a visual impairment, if they're unable to access information because it's not presented in an accessible format for them, it's that lack of accessibility that's disabling this person. So the first reason why nonprofits should care about accessibility is that inaccessible content disables people. And most nonprofits have a mission that's focused on making a positive impact on society and being inclusive and not disabling people should be a key part of that. When we talk about inclusion, we mean, we mean ensuring that everyone, regardless of their abilities, circumstances, environment, or technical limitations has the opportunity to participate in and benefit from initiatives and programs. So we should be actively working to remove any barriers that may prevent people from engaging with our content. And accessibility is a part of that. It's a part of making sure that we are staying true to our mission of creating a more equitable and inclusive society. And if you think about it, that's really what nonprofit organizations are about, right? And the second reason, I would say legal compliance, which you mentioned too. So there are laws and guidelines in place that require accessibility. It's not just, so, so it's not just the right thing or the moral obligation to do. It's also a legal requirement. So for instance, in the United States, the Americans with Disabilities Act or the ADA, which is a civil rights law that prohibits discrimination against individuals with disabilities, it, it covers various aspects of public life and that includes education and training. And under ADA, organizations must provide equal access to their programs and services for people with disabilities. And that means they need to make reasonable accommodations such as providing alternative formats and making their physical spaces accessible. And on an international level, we have the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines or the WCAG, which has 
this set of recommendations for making web content more accessible. And these guidelines are widely recognized and adopted by organizations around the world and cover various aspects of accessibility, such as text alternative for non-text content, captions for videos, and keyboard accessibility. So compliance with these laws and guidelines can actually, it can help organizations avoid potential legal issues, fines, or damage to their reputation. And then another great reason is that accessible learning can actually significantly expand the reach of nonprofit organizations, which is crucial for increasing their impact and gaining more support. Commitment to accessibility, it can help nonprofit organizations tap into a large and but often underrepresented audience. There are millions of people with disabilities worldwide. And when we make our materials accessible, we can include this diverse group in our programs, which translates into making a more significant difference in the lives of the people that we serve. And then the next reason is that accessible learning can benefit everyone, not just people with disabilities. So it's really, if this is a win-win situation for everyone. And I can give you examples of that. For example, adding captions and transcripts for video and audio content. It's not just for people who are deaf or hard of hearing. It can also help if you're in a noisy environment or if you prefer to read or if you're a non-native speaker. Another example would be writing in clear and plain language and using straightforward explanation that can make it easier for people with cognitive disabilities to understand the content, but it can also benefit everyone, all learners. Another example is offering content in multiple formats like text, audio, visual. It can help people with different types of disabilities, but it can also help learners who want to choose a different format because it works best for them. And there's also use the use of headings, bullet points, lists. All of these things make it easier for people with cognitive disabilities or people who use assistive technology like screen readers to understand the content but it also benefits all learners because it makes it more digestible and easier to navigate. So incorporating these accessibility features can create a more inclusive learning environment and it can benefit everyone, which can also lead to better learning outcomes, higher engagements, and more, a better, more significant impact for the organization. They still have three more reasons. So another reason would be like having a positive public image. When a nonprofit organization shows that they're committed to accessibility, it can do wonders for their public image. People appreciate organizations that genuinely care about inclusion. So when nonprofits work hard to make sure that everyone, including people with disabilities, can access their programs and services, they're sending a powerful message to the world that they value diversity, equity, and inclusion. And this can really resonate with the public. It's like saying, hey, we're here to make a positive impact on everyone's life. 
And we want to make sure that no one is left behind. People really respect that kind of commitment. And then we need to realize that for all organizations, and that includes nonprofit organizations, a positive public image can lead to a lot of benefits. For instance, it can attract more donors because people are more likely to support organizations that share their values. You can also get volunteers who are eager to join in and lend a hand because they know that their efforts contribute to a more inclusive world. And having a strong reputation for accessibility can also open up new partnerships and collaborations with other organizations and lead to more resources, expertise, and opportunities. Another reason, I have a lot of reasons. Another reason, I see that you're laughing. Another reason why nonprofits should care about accessibility is that focusing on accessibility can spark creative and innovative ideas and some an outside-the-box thinking. So it's like a whole new world of possibility opens up. And what happens is when we start exploring new ways to present information, to make the content more engaging and ensure it's easy to understand for people with diverse needs, in that process, organizations or individuals, they often come up with really creative and innovative ideas. An example of that would be Closed captioning was originally developed to provide access to television programs for people who are deaf or hard of hearing. But it quickly became clear that it could benefit a wider range of users. And if you think about it today, it has become a standard feature that many people rely on, whether they have disabilities or not. Another good example is text-to-speech technology. It was originally developed for people who are blind and have visual impairment, but it has since been adapted for use in a variety of contexts like creating audiobooks. We all have GPS in our cars, like GPS directions in a car. That's where the idea originated. Providing audio feedback in video games, that's also, that also came from the text-to-speech technology. And if you look at the video game industry, exploring, when they started exploring ways to make games more accessible to people with disabilities, that resulted in really exciting features like options for customizable controls, like visual aids, audio cues. So what's really cool about these innovative solutions is that they don't just benefit people with disabilities, they improve everyone's experience. So if you, if when we look for ways to make our learning content more accessible, the creative juices start flowing and, and that can lead to a lot of creativity and innovation. Also, when that happens, there can be a positive ripple effect throughout the organization. People get excited about finding new ways to tackle challenges and to make a difference. And that can do attitude. It's possible that it spill over, spills over into other aspects of their work. So that's another reason why we should focus on accessibility. And then the final reason I can give you is that focusing on accessibility, it can lead to new collaborations and partnerships. So 
When we start our accessibility journeys, we often we discover that we're not really alone in this journey. There are many other organizations out there that share the same values and they have the same goals. And what happens is that these organizations, they if you start reaching out to them and connecting with like-minded organizations, and that's when all the magic starts happening. You can team up and pull resources, expertise, and ideas. And these types of collaborations and partnerships can all can always be beneficial for everyone involved. Yeah, so th- there are many benefits to accessible learning, but those are the seven ones that I really wanted to share. Yeah, in case anybody isn't convinced, right? It really <laughs> does benefit everyone. And I love the the benefits that you decided to share with us. And it just made me think in, in 2020, when everything first shut down with COVID, I had a kindergartner at home who was trying to learn at home while I was trying to work at home. And the apps and things that they were asking her to do, the app itself, the activity itself, was would read to her and she was matching words and all the things on her kindergarten grade level, right? But the instructions were not read aloud. And so it was not accessible to her to do on her own. It was not independent. So I would have to read her the instructions and explain what she needed to do. And then once she started, it would kick in and it would be accessible to her in a way that she could understand it and complete the activity or the game. So thinking really about how to make this accessible for everyone, it really does. It benefits so many people and it goes beyond just the way people traditionally think about ability or disability. So thank you for sharing all of those benefits. So. Assuming everyone is now convinced, right, that they're going to make their learning more accessible, what are some common barriers that you see that nonprofit organizations face to ensure that their training programs are accessible to individuals with disabilities? What are some common barriers that you've seen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a great question. I think one of the biggest challenges and the most obvious <laughs> challenges that nonprofits face is that they usually have to work with pretty tight budgets. I mean, they're doing amazing work, but they often have limited resources to make all these amazing things happen, right? So when they start looking at making their programs accessible, they may realize that it's going to take some extra time, money, and expertise, different resources to get the job done. And that can be tough, especially when they're already stretched thin trying to fulfill their mission and make a positive impact on the community. For example, they might need to hire accessibility experts or invest in tools and software, or they may need to spend more time on training their staff and volunteers. And all of this can add up making it difficult for them to allocate enough resources to cover all their needs. And then another big challenge that nonprofits face um, accessibility is that sometimes they just don't know enough about it. There's a lack of awareness or knowledge, and there's a lot to learn, and it can be overwhelming, especially if you're new to the whole accessibility scene. 
So what can happen, what happens is that people in nonprofits might not be familiar with the latest accessibility standards or best practices, and that can make it really tricky for them to know where to start. They, they may be, you know, they may be wondering what does it actually mean to make our programs accessible? What do we need to change or adapt? How do we make sure that we're doing the right thing? And, and so this lack of awareness and knowledge, this gap in knowledge, it can be a big barrier for creating accessible programs. And it's not that a lot of organizations or a lot of people, it's not that they don't want to do it, but they might just not know how, or they may not feel confident about making the necessary changes. And then there's the issue of technology. To create accessible content, you often need specific tools and software or services, and nonprofits might not have access to those tools, or they might, or and a lot of these tools are actually very complicated or expensive to use. And when you're working with a tight budget, it can be really tough to justify investing in new technology especially if it seems complicated to set up and maintain. And like one of the trickiest parts about making training or about making content accessible is that there's a wide variety of disabilities to consider. There are people with visual, auditory, cognitive, or motor impairments, and each of them have their unique set of needs. So nonprofits might feel a bit overwhelmed trying to come up with a solution that works for everyone. There is no one-size-fits-all solution, but we can talk about that later. So it becomes a question of how do we make sure that material, our material is accessible to people with different types of disabilities. So it can be overwhelming and challenging. And then sometimes it's just a matter of priorities. Nonprofits have a lot on their plates and it can be tough to juggle everything. They may be super busy with things like fundraising, program development, or managing their staff and volunteers. So even though they might really want to make their services and programs accessible, it can be hard to prioritize accessibility at the moment. And then the final barrier that I'd mentioned today is sometimes organizations can be a bit resistant to change or resistant to adopting new practices, like focusing on accessibility. And that happens because a lot of times organizations or people who work for organizations, they are set in their ways or are just worried about extra effort and resources that it might take to make those changes happen. So there are a lot of kinds of obstacles and barriers that organizations can face on their accessibility journey or along the way, but it doesn't mean that it's not doable. Do you wish you could connect with other nonprofit learning and development leaders? I know what it feels like to want someone to bounce ideas off of and to learn from someone who really understands you and your work. Imagine if you could have a simple way to meet people in the field, ask questions, and share information. 
That's why I created the Nonprofit Learning and Development Collective, where nonprofit, L&D, talent management, and DEI leaders can connect with each other quickly and easily in a virtual space. When you join this community, you will walk away with a new, diverse, and powerful network and a sounding board for your staff development needs. So if you're ready to exchange ideas and collaborate with your peers, come join the Nonprofit L&D Collective. Absolutely. And these should ring true for other initiatives and things too, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm always asking, you know, what what's the barrier? What would prevent somebody from doing whatever change an organization is looking for? And time and money are always at the top of the list. So I think that shouldn't feel surprising, right? But there are some uniqueness, some unique things to consider when you're talking about accessibility and creating learning that is accessible for everyone. So how can nonprofits start to overcome some of these barriers? Also a great question. So I would say clearly the one of the most important steps, first steps is to get the buy-in from the leadership and from the employees, from staff. And to do that, there's a number of ways that we can go about it and build a compelling case for accessibility. So like educating leadership and highlighting the importance of accessibility and its benefits and showing that how accessibility aligns with your organization's mission and values. And that can help secure support and create a sense of commitment and urgency. Another way to get the buy-in would be sharing examples of how other organizations have successfully implemented accessibility practices and the positive outcomes that they've experienced as a result of that implementation. Those examples can help demonstrate the benefits of accessible learning. And then another piece of that would be identifying and engaging other stakeholders, not just the leadership team, other stakeholders like staff, volunteers, board members, And you need to be prepared to address any concerns, any misconceptions and fears about accessibility. And a part of that is developing a long-term strategic plan that outlines your accessibility goals and a timeline for achieving them. You want accessibility to remain a priority over time. Even when other pressing issues come up, but when you're thinking about setting goals and your plans, it's absolutely crucial to break things down into smaller, more manageable steps and set realistic, achievable goals. So I would say always start small. Begin by making small changes to improve accessibility, and that can be adding alternative text to images, ensuring proper heading structure, or providing transcripts for audio and video content. And if you think about it, small steps can still make a big difference in the long run. And so you want to make steady progress without feeling overwhelmed or sacrificing other priorities And eventually, as you continue to grow and develop, you'll be able to create more accessible programs. And that requires incorporating accessibility in planning and development stages. 
For example, you can incorporate accessibility into the budget planning, setting aside some money for acquiring and maintaining accessibility tools and software and services. It can also mean prioritizing accessibility in technology purchases and selecting tools. So when you're buying software, you can select tools that offer built-in accessibility features and or are compatible with accessibility tools. And that would create a more seamless experience both for you and the users. And I would say that in the developments, in program development, if you make accessibility a priority from the outset, that can help make your accessibility goals more achievable. Another option would be dedicating, assigning a dedicated team or a coordinator to focus on accessibility. And this person or this team would be responsible for helping raise awareness, sharing information, and ensuring that accessibility is consistently considered in all the decision-making processes. Another great solution is finding ways to integrate accessibility considerations into your organization's existing processes and workflow. For example, when creating new content or updating existing materials, that's when you can ensure that accessibility best practices are followed. And in terms of budget and resources, there's a growing number of free or affordable tools and resources out there like free web accessibility evaluation tools or online resources to learn about accessibility. And you also want to spend some time researching and applying for grants and funding opportunities that are specifically designed to help nonprofit organizations implement accessibility practices. Another great way to reduce cost and encourage collaboration inside your, within your organization and within and with that organization is partnering with other nonprofits or organizations that have experience in using accessible technology or are on a similar journey. And that can help you share resources, tools, and ideas to lower costs and make the learning process, facilitate the learning process for everyone. And let's not forget volunteers and interns. You also want to encourage and engage volunteers and interns with knowledge and skills in accessibility, or even volunteers and interns just with an interest in accessibility to support your efforts. And these people, so volunteers and interns, you can give them tasks like reviewing materials, researching best accessibility practices, or helping with training staff on accessibility. Speaking of which, it's absolutely essential to invest in training staff and volunteers on accessibility best practices, guidelines, and tools, which can help empower them to find creative and cost-effective solutions for making accessible programs and services, for updating and customizing your existing programs and services. And training can be done through workshops under a lot of online resources, a lot of free courses, or you can bring accessibility experts for training sessions. 
I would also say it's important to educate your staff and volunteers about on different, on various types of disabilities and on how inaccessible content can disable people. So I would say you can even create an internal resource hub with accessibility related materials for your staff and employees to take advantage of. And as you're doing all this work, it's important to remember the value of encouraging open dialogue and creating a safe environment where everyone feels comfortable discussing accessibility, sharing their experiences, asking questions. You, in a way, you want to build a collective understanding of the importance of accessibility and the steps that should be taken to achieve your accessibility goals. An effective strategy is adopting an accessible by default approach. Embrace the principles of universal design. The key is to focus on creating flexible and adaptable materials that can cater to a variety of needs. And that can include using multiple formats, using adjustable font sizes, keyboard navigations, customizable color contrast. And a big advantage of universal design is that you can save a lot of money and time because then you won't have to worry about going back and adjusting or adding features to, to, to an existing program. And as you're building your programs, you want to regularly test your materials and programs for accessibility and I highly recommend engaging individuals with disabilities or organizations that are focused on disability in your development and in your development process or in your testing process, because there is no replacement for firsthand experience. The insight that you can get from people with firsthand experience it's absolutely invaluable in identifying potential barriers and guiding how the creation of your materials. And I would also say that remember that accessibility is an ongoing process. So you need to continuously evaluate and improve your materials based on feedback that you get from users. And last but not least, recognize and celebrate progress, even small wins, no matter how small they are, share success stories and inspire continued commitments and motivate people to keep pushing forward. Those are some great solutions, some great ways to overcome those barriers. I think with so many things, we need to really think about creating buy-in from the beginning and we need to be intentional in planning and setting goals and in resourcing whatever it is that we're trying to do. So great examples of how nonprofits can really work to overcome those barriers. That's a great question. And there are definitely a lot of ways that you can make learning both accessible and engaging. And that actually reminds me of a myth about accessibility that accessible learning can be both and can be engaging because of all these limitations. And I want to say that that couldn't be further from the truth. Accessibility and engaging content are not mutually exclusive. 
there are many ways that you can create content that is both accessible and inclusive. So for starters, there are a lot of ways you can gamify your content without compromising accessibility. You can incorporate game-like features like badges, leatherboards, or challenges into your training material. And those can be fun and accessible. You can also create interactive elements like quizzes, polls, surveys. These always increase engagement and promote active learning, but they are also accessible. They can be accessible. Also, you can use real life, real world scenarios or case studies to help learners apply the knowledge and skills that they've gained in real life situations. And it's really not difficult to make scenario-based learning or case studies accessible, right? You can incorporate peer learning opportunities like group discussions and team projects. And those are also, they can be easily made accessible. You can create customizable learning paths and give learners the options or opportunities to choose their own path and their own experiences. And this can actually promote accessibility, but it can also create engagement and it can be very empowering and fun. And also keeping learners engaged can be as simple as using clear and concise language, providing alternative formats for learning materials, ensuring a clear and consistent navigation. And all of these can make it easier for users to access the content, find their ways around and stay engaged. And again, I highly recommend incorporating universal design principles for designing and delivering learning content, which can help ensure that your content is both engaging and accessible. These were such good ideas and they really help break it down into something that feels manageable. It feels doable for nonprofit learning and development leaders. So I'm so excited that you were able to share some of those. Saida, it's been so great to have you on this episode of Learning for Good. I really believe that we have so much to learn from each other. And that's one of the things that I really wanted to do when I started this podcast is to be able to bring people in and have that time to really learn from each other. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed that conversation. Thanks. So if you haven't already, if this episode was helpful for you, go ahead and subscribe, leave a review, or share it with a colleague who you think might also be interested. That helps me know what kinds of content you're interested in. And it just means so much to me as I create different episodes for all of you. So thank you, and I'll see you next time on Learning for Good. Hey friend, was this episode helpful for you? Did you like what you heard? Do you want more content like this? Here are three things you can do. Hit subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts for your podcast app of choice, share this episode with a colleague. This means so much to me personally. I read every review but it also helps me learn what content you like most so I can create more of what you want. All right, turn that Teams or Slack chat back on when you're ready and I'll see you next time on Learning for Good.